I wanted to invite Jill and Jenny and Jackie uh, to come forward as they read uh, God's Word to us from Acts chapter 1. And if you've got one of the church Bibles, that's on page 1092. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. This is now from verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David, concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. And from verse 20. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and and Matthias, Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Thank you so much for that. That's great. Well, that's a passage of scripture that we don't tend to read 
uh, very often, isn't it, really? Uh, We may well do the first few verses of Acts chapter 1, and any evangelist would love to uh, proclaim Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses, and then it kind of like drifts off a little bit until we get to Acts chapter 2, where there's the champagne court flying off at what we call uh, Pentecost. This is the little bits in between, uh, trying to think of a little bit of a different uh, angle uh, of prayer. As you know, we've been uh, thinking quite a bit over um, November and December uh, about prayer. We felt that was something that was important for us uh, as a church. Um, Prayer isn't always easy. It's not always uh, easy motivating the church. It's not always easy motivating the next generation uh, either. Uh, I think about a friend of mine some years ago now, but who was uh, uh, called into his first post in youth ministry. He was very excited about this opportunity to have as his job uh, sharing uh, good news, sharing the gospel, talking with young people and encouraging them to invite uh, their friends. And there was, I suppose, about uh, 10 or a dozen in in the the church group that he had a, a Bible study with. Uh, and he was very determined to start off how how he then uh, was was going to continue or to continue how he started off. So he said, "Well, I think it's so important that we pray together." And as for most uh, small groups, you may well be sat uh, in a, a cosy circle. So the group were were sat in a circle when they came to that time during the evening uh, of spending time on Bible study and uh, of praying together. Uh, and as an encouragement, uh, what that young youth leader said was. Right, he said, I'm, I'm going to pray uh, as an introduction uh, and then anybody that feels led to pray can then share whatever you want. doesn't matter how uh, small or how short those words are, just anything that you feel that you'd like to pray about. And then when everybody has, has, has prayed or when people have, enough people have shared whatever they feel that they'd like to share, then I'll close in prayer. And so he launched off with this impassioned first introductory prayer. And then, silence. How long do you then leave that silence for? Someone must surely pray, he thought. They didn't. And that poor youth leader had to then close in prayer, uh, having only just launched off into an introductory prayer. Not kind of um, uh, wishing to sort of leave it there. He thought, I know what I'll do next week because prayer is really important. So I'm going to make it a little little bit easier. So we will all pray. So he introduced uh, in advance what they were going to do. They sat in the same uh, circle as they had done the previous week. He said, well, I will start and then we're going to go round one at a time. And then everybody is going to pray. So nobody's going to feel the first or the odd one out. This is going to be something we can all engage in together. So there may well be one or two that that just feel this is not for you because it's too big a group you feel. If that's you, it's okay to just place your hand on the shoulder of the person to your left. You're ahead of the game, Jill, aren't you? So that youth leader prayed. Pause. And then he felt a hand on his shoulder because all the young people had gone all the way around. None of them felt able to pray. True uh, story. I don't know what happened from there on in. 
It's not an easy thing uh, to pray, uh, is it? But it's something that we feel is important uh, for us as uh, a church. We've been uh, quite radical in scrapping our monthly prayer meeting, but hopefully that was uh, a bit of a shake-up for us uh, to think about, well, why are we doing it? Well, because as members of the church, we didn't come. Simple as that. But we realised actually it was maybe just the sense of it being a meeting. But what we've wanted to talk about and to think about is that opportunity of creating a culture whereby we pray with whatever it is that we're doing. So a conversation, for example, I had in the cafe uh, this morning, uh, which was quite a, um, a serious thing that we were talking through, but it was in the cafe area. And I, I had to remember what I'd only just been talking about. I said, hang on, before we, we all go our own separate ways, why don't we commit this to God? Yeah, let's do that. Turning our conversations quite deliberately over to God is maybe a helpful thing for us uh, to do. So that's been an, um, both an encouragement and a challenge uh, to me. Well, we know that the, uh, the first followers of Jesus uh, prayed a lot. Uh, they must have been uh, called out as to what was going on very often and been saying, well, God, what, what, what's happening here? Just try to place yourself, this is really difficult to do, but place yourselves in their shoes. When then they had looked to this Jesus as being the Messiah. Yes, that's right. You've got the right answer was what Jesus gave Peter the thumbs up uh, with. But then when he explained what was going to happen to him in terms of his dying, he said, oh no, no, Lord. Interesting two words going uh, together there because they don't sit uh, together, do they? No and Lord. They thought they got it, but then they hadn't got it. They thought this Jesus was the Messiah who was going to overthrow Rome. No. And this great hope that they placed in someone they, they, they sought to follow for three years, surely they would have known him by then. And he ends up dying a cruel death on a cross. How would you have felt? Completely gutted. What do you do if everything that you pinned your hopes upon, or one that you've pinned your hopes in, and they're then dead? God, what is going on? I'm sure they would have turned to God in prayer. And then, of course, we know that within days, that wasn't the end, was it? Because this same, same Jesus came back to life. That was almost just as problematic to them uh, as his being dead because they hadn't contemplated that either. Even though the Lord Jesus had said, this is what's going to happen. But they just didn't get it. And they were then thrown again. Well, what, is, what does this mean? And then Jesus meets with them. And you can look at the gospel accounts at the end of Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus is there with just the 11. Judas Iscariot is no more. And there they are having their time of worship which would probably have included prayer. I'm sure it would have done. Maybe singing some hymns. Who knows? Bit of Graham Kendrick of the day. And then whilst they're in their group of 12 and whether or not they did the thing of tapping one another on the shoulder if they were uncomfortable praying out loud, who knows? What we do know is that this Jesus, Jesus that was no doubt leading the meeting suddenly begins to ascend and just keeps going. What would you have thought? Now we just, we just read through the verses, don't we, and just think, oh, well, that was the ascension. Hang on a minute. 
Just imagine you being there. It's, it's pretty mind-blowing stuff, isn't it? Surely this same hodgepodge group of people would have thought, well, what now? We don't know whether we're coming or going. We thought he was this, and then all of a sudden he says about he's going to die. Well, that doesn't sit comfortably. Then he is dead. God, what's going on? Help us. And then all of a sudden, he's alive again. Right, now we're kind of beginning to get a grasp of what it means to follow this risen saviour and talk about risen, but he then kept rising and then they're on their own again. I'm sure there would have been repeated times where they would have been praying and praying and praying. God, what is going on? I don't get what you are doing in this situation. Ever prayed that? I'm sure you have. Until Jesus returns, we should be a praying people. And that's what we were thinking about in the context of Acts chapter 1, verse 14. We read there that they continued praying together. They'd already been doing that as they just returned from seeing Jesus ascend into heaven. So we can probably assume that they prayed immediately after uh, he ascended. And no doubt, again, that would have then completely thrown them. Uh, they may well have launched into praise too because, wow, they'd never seen anything like this. But then they're left suddenly on their own again and no doubt on their knees as to, well, God, what next? Here's this group of 11 needing to club together and to pray together. And it's important where there's those times of those people that have got a particular uh, task and this, this group of people were there to lead what that which became known as the church. Well, uh, they didn't really have a great foundation, did they, really, in terms of what was going on. But this was going to be uh, who got raised up as being leaders. It's important for them to have their time on their own together to pray. Not everybody's called to be in that particular role but it's good to pray for those who are. So there's that sense of partnership together. Together we want to see God more clearly. That's our theme running through this year. And then we, uh, we read that then um, following that sense of their returning back to Jerusalem from verse uh, 12, uh, from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were, and we get the list uh, there, but they were then joined uh, with others. They were joined with some women, joined with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and also with his brothers. Now, we don't know a lot about that group, but it seems an extended group who were still maybe on the inner core, that maybe had a part to play, or a gift of prayer, or a passion for what was going on, or that, that next layer of those immediately in support of the eleven. Maybe pure speculation, but there was certainly another emphasis on their own uh, praying uh, together uh, there. Others maybe hadn't got that same gift. And we thought a little bit about that this morning. For some people, prayer is something that comes quite naturally and very easily. Uh, I know there's different individuals that I would specifically uh, text or email or phone to say, there's this happening right now, could you pray? Uh, or maybe if it's a, a, a big situation here that needs to remain confidential, there's different people out of this situation that I can just wing a text to of people that do what I do elsewhere uh, locally and say, could you pray for such and such a meeting that I've got in 30 minutes time? And it's great to know that there are people like that, but we're not all wired out like that. That's not something that comes very easy uh, to me. 
That's not to say that I never pray. I do. You'll be encouraged, I hope, to realise that. But it's not something that I believe God has naturally given to me as as a gift. It's hard work. And some of you will be able to identify with that uh, as well. Let's give God thanks for those who've been given that gift. And it's important that we don't uh, uh, look upon those people who've got that gift and look at them thinking they're so spiritual. Or that those people that have been given that gift, conversely, they tut tut those of us that, that struggle. We need one another. If God has given you a heart and a passion to pray, give him thanks for that gift. And see if there are other like-minded people that you can take with you. We used to meet once a month here uh, for our church uh, prayer meeting. Uh, They'd probably average about three, four, five. We had other times over the years where there'd be a lot more. Just because we don't meet formally doesn't mean to say that with the church doors open that that same core of people can't meet to pray. If there's an opportunity that you have this evening after a service, somebody that you know very well, why not turn to them and say, well, why don't we just pray for one another this week? Do it. We don't need something set up formally, do we? To actually pray for that which is going on in one another's worlds. There was then a third occasion that involved a wider group of people for prayer that we read about in verse 20. Uh, We'd uh, had from verse 15, we heard in verse 15 that when there was uh, about 120 gathered, and you can get 120 quite comfortable in a room like this, so you can imagine uh, the sort of numbers of people uh, that 120 was. It was about 120, I would say. Uh, So picture that figure, and then out of nowhere it appears, then Peter stands up in front of those 120 and gives them a little bit of exposition uh, from scripture about the whole context for leadership and the particular need that they had and why it was important that they had to pray together. And that they, this wasn't the, uh, the church per se, or it was a church in a pre-Pentecost uh, uh, state. And, and I reference this that by comparison as to maybe this being like the, the life of an unborn child. We know that uh, before a child is born into the world, there's still life there. There was life within this group of 120. But the church, as it uh, uh, per se, had not been born out into the world. That happened when God's Holy Spirit fell upon that group of believers in Acts chapter 2. And we've spoken a lot more about that than we would have done about this passage here. So what was going on uh, here? Let's read verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, that was what they were known as, a group numbering about 120 And he said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and who shared in our ministry. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of the Psalms, and then he unpacked scripture. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. So that sense of of knowing someone and of relationship was important. And who was living with us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. From one of these must become a witness with us 
of his resurrection. Someone who had a personal experience and encounter of the living Lord Jesus. That was the, uh, the key criteria that Peter set by way of, of, of his own role as leader. But then threw that open to the church for their own involvement as to what might happen next. So they nominated the they, being the church, it strikes me, two people, uh, Joe and Matt. Uh, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over this apostolic uh, ministry. We don't read about there being any sulking of, from the one who wasn't uh, chosen or any great procession uh, or fanfare of trumpets from Matthias who was uh, nominated. And we'll think about how they, uh, they dealt with that decision uh, a little bit later. But what I want to, uh, to, to flag up is this wasn't an accidental uh, meeting. It was a meeting that had a purpose. And no matter what ministry goes on here at church, and as Dave's already cited with, with DFID, we've got quite a, a lot of things going on as a church that happen out there uh, or in here but in a different room or in the community or behind closed doors. Think about the befriending scheme, thinking about uh, food share uh, and other things like that. So different things out there. There always ought to be, though, an overriding purpose here, their overriding purpose was that sense of a calling of an additional member into leadership. It came about after God's word was unpacked. That was key. So this was out of the word. It wasn't just a, a manufactured thing. And then it came about through God's um, people at praying. And I'll share this uh, this evening... Um, well, a little bit of what I shared um, this morning, just to, uh, as a sort of like um, an additional uh, aside as to how we operate um, here, and particularly as there's different people that are a part of the church uh, and may well uh, wonder how we uh, how we run and stuff like that. Um, well, how does leadership work out? Well, we've got a lovely uh, picture that's covered with scribbles as we've been recently thinking uh, that through uh, by way uh, of trustees. Now, biblically, it's right that the leaders of the church are the elders. That's the, the word meaning of elder uh, is leader. Uh, but alongside that, legally, for us to operate as a charity, we have to have a set of trustees who manage the charity which is called Dorchester Community Church. It's not that one group is more important than the other. The role of the trustees is there in terms of function to ensure that the charity does what, it is, uh, what its statement of purpose is, then it is actually fulfilling that. And that's down to the elders in their leadership of that. But there are another two groups alongside that, because there's a lot of stuff uh, to, to get done. You may well remember in Acts chapter 6, there was an issue in the community going on in terms of a, of a social need element. And those who are in prayer and doing the teaching and the leadership, we can't do all this stuff. Of course they couldn't. They weren't ever intended to. But what they did do is set up another group of people that we uh, know here as deacons who were there uh, with um, uh, set up initially to support the elders and to help facilitate some of the practical needs uh, of the church. And you can read about that at your leisure in Acts chapter 6. In terms of our moving to a new building, 
whoa, that's opened up a whole new can of worms. So the bulk of the practical element used to come under the deacons when we were met at Ackland Road. Here, all of a sudden, it's been, welcome to the world of environmental health. Welcome to the world of safeguarding. Welcome to the world of health and safety. Welcome to the world of... And you, and you can imagine, can't you, all these, these new uh, different things and, and the right way for us to operate as a charity and room bookings and everything else. So we have a very key group called our building management group. So a building management group that deals with room management, building maintenance, cleaning, equipment, facilities management, cafe and kitchen operation. They feed into the trustees uh, that oversee the managing of the charity in the same way that the deacons feed into and support the elders. So that was just a a little bit of an aside, but I thought that was maybe an important uh, thing to explain because often people think, well, so how does it work here? And of course we're asking the same question, you know, if only we knew. In one sentence, I think this is important. We want to operate biblically. Which is why when we talk about our leadership here, we talk about that in the context of elders and deacons. Yet within the legal parameters uh, that the government sets for charities. That's how it works out. What was important as we go, we release the pause button and go back to Acts chapter 1, was that there was the right person in the right role. And that's actually what's important for you and for me, isn't it? Am I in the right role? And for the person who wasn't chosen here, Joseph, called Barsabas, also known as Justice, it obviously wasn't right for him to be in the, the number 12 uh, coming into this role here. That doesn't mean to say he was a bad person. It means that God had wanted him to be involved elsewhere. And that is totally okay. Then they prayed, and God made it clear who was to um, uh, step into at the shoe. So Peter was the preacher or the speaker. He unpacked God's word, explained their purpose for meeting. Uh, the leaders then led prayer uh, for God's direction, but all of God's people were involved, about 120 uh, of them. Regarding that sense of the value for prayer, there's different people, there's different numbers, and there's different purposes for when we pray. It strikes me in the context of this passage, as you see unfolding. So the small group together, then a wider group, and then whole church. And that, for me, uh, was uh, quite helpful. But ultimately, that prayer of, Lord, show us, is a good starting point, isn't it? For whatever it is that we're involved in. Now, this morning, we, uh, we use that as an opportunity to put some of this into practice ourselves, because on the first Sunday uh, in November of the evening service... Um, I did something different from introducing that teaching series on prayer from the morning. And we rattled through the entire book of Acts to every reference that there was uh, uh, to prayer. I don't know if you can remember that. Yeah, yeah, you can remember. Thank you, Paul. That's great. Uh, So that's good. Somebody can. And there's a whole host of stuff there. Basically, to see the different types of prayer, the different contexts for prayer and everything else. I have to be honest, I felt convicted in one area that I didn't broadcast at the time. But whenever uh, the church appointed new leaders as a new church was set up, those leaders received the laying on of hands and prayer for God's Holy Spirit to bless their ministry. And I thought, we've just recently, because we had done, the previous month in October, appointed Glyn 
and Martin, who now is earwigging in the cafe area, so I've got to be careful with what I'm saying. He's just arrived for, for later. Uh, as elders here in the church, and I thought, we haven't prayed for them. There's a biblical mandate for that. So we thought it would be important to do that. And as I shared this with the elders, said, I think we, we missed something here. Paul, there, <laughs> Paul Farrell said, well, I've been an elder nearly two years and nobody's prayed for me either. We thought, oh, we're even worse at this than we thought. So we put our hands up. And then this morning had an opportunity to set aside those three guys. Uh, not as being more important than anybody else, but just wanting to make sure that we properly committed these guys uh, to God in the same way that Matthias was added, and we asked Dave and Roger Collins, who had been in eldership, to kind of uh, pass the baton on and pray for them. Dave's going to just uh, share briefly about what he said and why he did that um, this morning, and then I'll round off after that. Praise God. Well, I brought uh, along the, uh, the notes that I used this morning. This isn't going to be long, but I do want to uh, put it in the right context. If I can go back a little bit before uh, this morning to uh, that time when um, with Rod, uh, I shared um, eldership, um, there were four elders um, in those days, and we were looking for um, uh, new elders to come on. Uh, and um, uh, scripture tells us to lay hands on no man suddenly. And quite often that is seen uh, as uh, in the context of settling disputes amongst uh, uh, church members, not that they happen very often, or where, <laughs> where there are difficulties that arise and people need uh, to have some sort of uh, um, outside influence. Um, but it says, don't go and lay hands on people suddenly and drag them into a corner and make them sort out their issues. Um, so quite often that verse or that scripture is seen in that context. But laying hands on no man suddenly also applies to leadership. And if you are looking or seeking for uh, somebody to head up a ministry in the church, you don't go up and uh, pick someone you think uh, looks good, sounds good, uh, and says all the right things, and invite them to lead a ministry, uh, because you need a ministry to be led. You don't do that. That's putting the flesh before the spirit. Uh, what you in fact do is you stand back and you wait. Because uh, it's only through the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the uh, appointing of God, anointing and appointing of God, that people become right for the role. Because it's God that brings them forward, not uh, not man. Uh, and so um, it's important then, therefore, that you stand back and you wait. And that's difficult because, again, uh, it might not happen straight away. You might be desperately wanting to have, in that case, more elders, but you simply have to wait for the right people who God is raising up. And so, um, uh, and so we find in the letter uh, uh, to Titus, Paul instructs the elders uh, that elders are to be appointed in every town, we would say, obviously, in every church. And in Acts 14, those appointed elders uh, were prayed for and commended to the Lord. They were brought forward, they were shown to people so that others could get uh, in on the prayer and receiving from the Holy Spirit aspect. Do we do that very often? <laughs> do we actually say, you know what, I've got a spirit within me that links up with God, but I so often pray in, through the flesh, 
has, has to be the important link. But what about in the spirit? Uh, and so these people were brought forward uh, uh, to be presented uh, to, uh, to the saints. So in the uh, letters uh, to Timothy, we also find that the life that elders are to lead uh, uh, is recorded there. They have to be tried and tested in their faith and to be seen, known and understood uh, to have received gifts from the Holy Spirit. And you can't do that quickly. That is something you need to stand back, look uh, and uh, discern. Uh, you need God's wisdom uh, in order to uh, make the decision uh, or come to the appropriate decision that these people are the ones that God has anointed. So the office of eldership brings responsibility for seeking the Lord's will and receiving the Holy Spirit's guidance, direction and vision in respect of the church. Can't rush into that, can you? You think of that if you appoint the wrong person. As Roger has said, there are people that have different gifts for different uh, um, uh, um, what, what am I talking about? Um, for different leadership, for different ministries. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, and so it would be awful to appoint someone that is more suited for the worship group into an eldership role. It just wouldn't work. And it wouldn't be long before there would be chaos. Far better to stand back and wait for the Lord to, uh, through the Holy Spirit, uh, identify those people that should come forward. So appointing... Um, of uh, elders is in recognition getting the horse uh, before the cart we recognize what God has done uh, and uh, the anointing recognizing the anointing of God upon them for the office of eldership so this morning we endorsed um, uh, Paul Martin and Glyn uh, into the eldership they had been looked at, watched over, thought about, prayed about, sought God over, and the answers had come back that these were the respective people. So they were bought before the church, so now the church could have a good look at them and, and become a part of that um, decision to receive them as elders. They're also in the um, AGM, of course, membership are then invited to vote for these uh, folk to bring them in. But no prayer is had at that stage, simply recognising uh, an eldership uh, um, decision, really. Uh, so this morning, out they came, and it was our opportunity to pray over them and to invite the uh, members of the church here to do the same uh, in their own hearts and spirit. So that's what this morning was about. It's recognition of what God had done in the hearts and minds of these, and lives of these uh, lads. Lads. <laughs> I can call them that now, I'm 73. <laughs> and what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity it was. Now I'm just going to read very quickly, before I hand back to, uh, to Roger, um, what the um, laying on of hands uh, prayer was. Um, Roger Collins prayed for them generally and then we laid hands on them and I was um, uh, asked to just lead that prayer uh, of commitment. Uh, and so this, this gives you an idea of what we're expecting from our eldership, the responsibility they've taken on uh, and the things that we have seen uh, developed in them and will see grow in them. So, oh Lord, this morning... 
we bring before you Paul, Martin and Glyn. It was quite amazing that they came out and stood here in the order of Paul, Martin and Glyn. <laughs> You'd be surprised what things can throw you when you're standing up here <laughs> doing those things. So there they all were, stood in line. And we pray the Holy Spirit will be strong in each one of them. Now, we've already seen and witnessed the Holy Spirit operating in each one of them. So now we're asking God to develop that. And uh, in the laying on of hands, there is an extra anointing uh, of God through the Holy Spirit. Uh, not the person that's laying on of hands. It's all of God. Um, but something that just enhances that original uh, anointing. Um, so that they will be strong, the Holy Spirit will be strong, equipping them with the individual gifts that will uphold their anointing. That's an individual thing. Not all of them will receive the same gifts. Not all of them will operate in the same areas. But they all need an individual anointing of the gifts uh, for, their, uh, for their ministry as elders. We pray for their wives and we ask for an anointing upon them. You know, that quite often gets missed out, doesn't it? You pray for the people that are in front of you and you forget that there is uh, another dimension to all of that and uh, these elders are going to need support of their wives. And so we pray for a similar anointing for their wives, that God has raised one up, so God also is going to raise up the other. Uh, so we pray for that anointing, for the strength and support that they will need and bring to each of their husbands. We also prayed protection over them. I pause there quite deliberately. The enemy is going to be strong in the attack on these uh, new elders, as upon all of uh, them and anyone that's in leadership. So we pray protection over them against the attacks of the enemy. And finally, Lord, we commend them to you. Thank you, Dave. So there you go. By way of summary, as we go back to the book of Acts, Acts was, uh, was not written to be descriptive of every particular detail of this is the way that you have to do it from here on in, in every uh, particular uh, situation. It was describing what happened then as opposed to prescribing how everything else is to work out in today. I think uh, God has, in his infinite wisdom, deliberately left that sense of what, God, what, what, what the Spirit is doing uh, in the culture and of the age of the time for us to take biblical principles and apply them into our current situation. But by way of summary, this is what we've gone through this evening. The leaders took the initiative. They met together. They prayed together constantly. The church met together, although they weren't particularly called the church then, they were known as the believers. The leaders then spoke to the church, the believers, about the issue. There was a sense of unity in the process. The leaders then clarified the criteria that was essential. That was the, the, uh, the, the foundational thing of, right, there's two people that I want you to choose, but that needs to be people that satisfy this, this and this. And then from there, the whole church prayed for God's choice to be made clear. The names of individuals came from within the church. They proposed in verse 23. They were nominated. And then there was acceptance of God's leading uh, in the decision. Now, what we tend to do is action that and confirm that, as Dave was mentioning, at what we call a members meeting. Here, 
they use the casting of lots. We don't do that now, do we? Although, interestingly, in 2002, I believe it was, a couple of years before I came, uh, there was a one-off vote that I don't know if Thelma would have remembered that or Chris may would have done, um, where anybody that was involved in, in leadership is following a conversation with Doug and Stephen one Sunday afternoon where they thought, oh, the church is kind of dying. What are we going to do here? And they scrapped everything in terms of anybody who was in eldership or deacon. They laid that down and the church was given a vote for anybody. And there was points given to and then an outside adjudicator. I mean, it's kind of like similar to a, a casting of lots. Ask me more about that. And you're looking a bit baffled and confused. I wish I'd never opened my mouth now. <laughs> but maybe over coffee, uh, you can ask me about that. It wouldn't have sat comfortably, certainly with me, for an ever and a day process. But it was a one-off um, occasion where they were given the whole lot with a blank canvas to God. And uh, again, on a... Uh, Stephen and Doug in their decision to that end. This was the last time that we can read of the, of the uh, casting of lots that was used uh, in the Bible, but they still recognise that as that human means, but that was under God's control. We have a human means of, of tick, putting a tick in a box where we feel God is, is speaking to people about um, uh, in terms of their being proposed for a particular position, but we recognise that's under God's control in terms of uh, of who then gets nominated proverbs chapter 16 verse 33 reminds us the lot is cast into the lap but every decision is from the lord do pray uh, for those who are involved in the different roles and particularly we're thinking i know about leadership uh, this evening i always feel a bit awkward to kind of plug that because of my own role here but I have to say, it would really benefit uh, your prayers. There's a lot of stuff that 95% has no idea that goes on in church life and outside of some of the stuff we're trying to tackle. And it's been much bigger since we've moved to Pangbury. That's all I really feel comfortable to, to share. But a whole host of stuff that it's not appropriate to put particular requests in a welcome sheet or anything else. The one thing that you can do is is get on your knees for us because very often we haven't got a clue what to do saying god would you please uh, help it's nothing particularly special about any particular individual or group of people um, from the group that uh, that that jesus had around him here those 11 always struck me that they are more of a motley crew than a special brew if you think about uh, the the group that uh, that he was surrounded by but uh, I love this quote that I read this week. The people that God empowers are not perfect performers, but dependent believers. And that's what we seek to be. I've been encouraged by that verse over the years that says that God chose the foolish things in this world to shame the wise. And I often feel that's probably where I fit in best. And I'm okay uh, with that. The church was committed to prayer and to getting it right, including the issue of leadership. Each of us, let's pray, given uh, that context, but also for whatever it is that's coming our way, Lord, show us. That's a very positive prayer for us uh, to pray. Dave alluded to, and I'll close with this, and he probably knows what's coming. Uh, alluded to the time when we had four of us uh, in, in eldership and we've now got six so obviously there's a lot more uh, pressure and stress whether you're a four we did have an occasion 
where we were down to just two in my time. Dave being one elder and me being the other. And for very valid reasons, uh, health issue, a couple of guys that had moved away. Uh, and so we were down to two and, and Dave and I met up and we thought, this is not a very comfortable place to be in. And Dave, given his wisdom of years, said, look, it's really important, Roger, I think that we, that we feel that we can be totally honest with one another. Are you okay with that? I said, yeah, I, I think that's a good place, good place to start, Dave. He said, so, so if there's anything troubling us or anything we're concerned about the other or we're not happy with, is that all right that we kind of feel able to be open with one another about that? I said, absolutely. That's a, that's a really wise thing to say, uh, Dave. Great. He said, well, I've got a list here. There's a few things I've been longing to talk to you about. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Let's pray together. Father God, we long to be a dependent believer, a dependent on you believer. We've spoken a a whole lot in recent uh, weeks and months about prayer and what that means for your people. Here we're looking that's uh, afresh at maybe verses that we we don't tend to look at that often about how uh, that group of believers dealt with things that were changing, the confusion that they had, the decisions that needed to be made uh, as 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 more uh, came and, and joined their number, and as maybe that prompted different issues and challenges for them. We thank you that their underlying prayer was, Lord, show us. And God, we pray the same prayer. Our situations are very different, but very often we don't really know what to do other than humble ourselves before you and say, Lord, show us. Show us how to respond. Show us what to say. Show us when it's right to not speak. Show us how to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Show us how to show grace where grace is of paramount importance. Show us when to be people of truth, when truth needs to come to the fore and be spoken. But may that be in love. Lord, show us. And for wherever we find ourselves and whatever situations we face, we say, Lord, show me what I need to do for such a time as this, with that which I'm facing right now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.